0: not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's join m i d dot com.
1: Well, I'm sticking in this message ahead of the episode to say we got live shows again. The link for all the events we have so far will be in the description of this episode. Hopefully there'll be a couple more to announce over the next few days, but at the minute we've got the 19th of February in Cheney in Dublin, and the 4th of March in Cocklands in Cork, and that one is with Roger O'Sullivan. So you can follow the link below to get tickets to those, and hopefully we'll see you at a live show soon.
0: Hello,
2: and welcome to Shite Talk, an Irish history podcast. What do we have to say in the intro this week, Kevin?
1: Um, it's twenty twenty two. It has been it is, for a yeah. while.
2: About about a month by the time this comes out.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, well into it.
2: That's officially too late to say that to anyone.
1: Yeah, when when do you have to stop wishing people a happy new year? January third, fourth, fifth. Yeah, I'll do it. Like yeah. you
2: could, you are pushing it on the fourth and fifth, but you could just if you haven't seen someone and you are close to them. Maybe maybe you say it then.
1: Yeah, definitely not February fifth. No, but it is St. Bridget's weekend. It is. It's in bulk. Yeah, that's if true. I'm,
2: if I'm pronouncing that right, I don't know if I am. Did a I podcast was, on that last year? Still don't know how to pronounce it.
1: Yeah, a podcast which you forgot about because you recommended. You're, you're all excited about doing an in bulk episode there yesterday.
2: Yeah, uh, completely <laughs> forgot that. That was yep. I was probably smoking a lot more back then, um, and it just completely. Yeah, that's that's on me.
1: I was very excited about it because I was like, it's a great way to cash in now. We'll get everyone yeah. who's Googling St. Bridget's Crosses. Well, I, I was in rural Mayo as opposed to, you know, big city Mayo. I was way out in like mm. Belmullet the other day and I went into a petrol station and like at the till they were selling St. Bridget's Crosses and I completely forgot what weekend it was. And I was just like, huh, rural Ireland. There it is. And it was only yesterday. I was like, oh, Of course. Do you reckon that they have uh, the
2: kids from the local primary school making those as well?
1: I'd say so. I'd say that's a good bit that, of slave labor. Is that child labor? I was going to
2: say, is, is that technically child labor? It is.
1: Ah, it is, but it's the same as like. It doesn't. When... It's not child labor if you get off class to do it. No, that's your payment. Well, they used to have um, potato days or potato weeks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, we had
2: okay. uh, egg and spoon races. And maybe I'd sometimes pretty, if you didn't have uh, an
1: egg, you'd use a potato. I'm pretty sure in the like 60s and 70s, schools would just have holidays where like the children would be allowed off to go help with the crops, to go potato picking. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if this is true, but I'm pretty sure the reason that we have summer holidays is not for the good of the child, but because of seasonal farming. Uh, Maybe. I mean, every other country has them as well, though, but
2: they're not as long. Most other countries, it's kind of like eight weeks, six, eight weeks and work kind out of like
1: three, four months. Fuck prime, it, don't bother yeah. going back. Don't bother, yeah, there's prime and midterm breaks, sure that's only for planting. And Christmas breaks, sure that's only for <laughs> breaking up the clods of frozen soil to get ready for next year's harvest. Now when I said at the beginning of this podcast what do we have to say in the intro, uh Are You I know that you meant minutes. my ramblings about the origins of children's holidays. Um I don't know. Yeah, we did the first of the film club episodes there last weekend. We watched yeah, Wake and Ned Divine.
2: I'm I'm editing that as we speak. Uh, well, not as we speak right now. No. But I don't have that. I can't I can't do two things at once. Um, but I am editing that, and that'll be out hopefully tonight or else tomorrow. Where, uh, which will be in the past by the time people are listening We've to got, this episode. Yeah, that's true. So if you want to see that film, uh, I was going to say you can buy it somewhere. You can you probably just legally stream that, but you can pay to listen to us talk about it on our Patreon amongst all of our live sh- gigs Um, our what else we have we have specials up there we have a yep. bunch of other episodes more to come it's a good time to get it now because we're going to be busy for February so you'll have another like three like exclusive pay- uh, behind the paywall episodes yeah. doing good, it at the start of the month
1: man. is always the best time to do it you know not that there's any wrong time to do it but you do get your money's worth around the start of the month. Yeah,
2: well I suppose you get your money's worth anyway because you still get access to the, like, to yeah, the content. Yeah,
1: But if you do it in the last day of the month you'll get charged twice in a row and yeah,
2: feel I, yeah. wronged. Yeah, you'll get charged like three or four days after. I've even seen some people signed up in the last couple of days and I'm like, I it's their own fault for skipping the intro because I do try to tell people in the intro that yeah. don't do that. But if you want to skip the intro that's the price you pay. And that price is... 5 euro. Yes, or if you have more money, you can you'll free to do that as well. There is also a 3 euro option that doesn't give you access to any of that content, and a lot of people pay for that, and then within about 5 minutes of paying for it, they go back and up their membership, because they've yes. realised that they, they don't get that content.
1: We That's on our list of things to do, we need to delete that tier, but you can't delete it while people are subscribed to it, and you can't unsubscribe them, they have to do it themselves, and Yeah. <laughs> But we're working on it. Yeah, it's a bit cheeky to turn around and be like, thanks for the three euro, but how about five? Yeah, just just give another two and you can get access to the things that you want. But apart from that, yeah, well, instead of rants about uh, public holidays, uh, we, sh- we should do a shout out. We haven't done a shout out in ages. We're gonna bring them back for, for 2022. Is that specifically because someone asked us to do it? Yeah, pretty much. What someone asked yeah. us... Someone, not just someone, Jason, someone who's been supporting us financially for quite a while. He did promise yeah, us oranges at one stage. back to a time gone oh, by. Very good. Very well done. Uh, he did promise us a punnet of oranges at some time, which he never delivered on. But, you know, he's he's not perfect.
2: He does live in a different country, I believe. So it's, it's going to be tough to get those oranges what he, here.
1: What, you, they don't have oranges in... I, I don't but, know which country. I think I was living in the. I think it was America. I think I was over
2: there, and I said, "Well, like, Kevin can't have the oranges, but I definitely could." Yeah, or some sort of a voucher for oranges, maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily like tangerines, clementines, clementines. You know, we're not fussy in that regard. I feel we've already gotten off topic. What we were meant to say is congratulations, Graham Hartness, on the birth of your daughter Amelia Hartness. And Amelia, if you're listening to this someday in the distant future. Your father's a sound man. Fair play to him. Yeah. Forget about that oh. thing we said about the oranges. <laughs> he was he's always been sound to us. Someday I feel like we will meet him and he will bring us oranges though. Yes. Like on a live gig in America, or if he's ever over here and I will want them. Yeah. But uh yeah, congratulations to you, Graham, and to the mother of your child and to Amelia herself. Amelia Harkness. A fine name. A great name. A great name. A solid name. Janone Wells is a very good name.
2: Whom? Thomas Meager, who this story is <laughs> about.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess that's the first point. Is it Thomas Meager or Thomas Mayer? Because the Americans no. say Mayor, I think. It, they do, uh, but I'm not going to say that. Yeah, because I think they, they'd be wrong in that in this case. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I'm not 100% confident in it. Um I've rattled, a of, I've rattled you too
2: early in this. It, you have, you have. I don't know. No, I've, I hadn't because I, would had read see that you getting, in the research. I
1: can see you looking through your <laughs> notes there. Like, oh. oh, I'm sweating. Oh no, 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 <laughs> I have an awful lot of rhyming jokes later on in the third act that mightn't make sense. Well, this man is from uh, Waterford, so just wait until I make you pronounce that. Nice, nice.
2: Yeah, I'll get you back. But yeah, we have we have a good story today. It's actually the it's right the now that we've done. The Pirate Queen, that yeah. this is probably the most suggested episode. Yes. And I didn't want to do it because I wanted to go up to Montana first. And then I realized when I was there, I didn't do any research. I just saw the statue. And then I did yeah. some yoga beside it and I smoked a joint. And you have that, I think that photo's on the Instagram. No, I, it's not, you not, know, I it's, it put it up there.
1: No, it is because I remember you were talking about, you've been talking about this for a, probably a year at this stage. Oh, way longer up there, than that, I feel yeah. And all you did was smoke a joint beside a statue and then I think you went and ate some wings and watched a soccer game,
2: and yeah, left. It was <laughs> That's the kind of uh, the kind of research. I'm leaving no stone unturned.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, but I, I think, in fairness, I think
2: I had a I not I go to the bar. I, don't know, it's, I was it's all a bit hazy because I, I was high, but
1: um, pretty sure I went to the Thomas Francis Meager bar when I was there. It was their fault for putting the museum in a bar. In fairness, it was a trap. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even in, because that was in a separate place. It wasn't even in Helena.
2: That was in a separate place. And I didn't also know the bar was there. I just walked by it and I was like, ah, that's the guy. That's the that's the man. Yeah. And then and then in researching it further, I've realized that if I had done any research beforehand, um, I'd have known that there was a lot of other statues and things there I could have taken photos of. And I just didn't. So, yeah, I should listen. Yeah, we've got people listening in Montana, though. Maybe we can get them to send us photos. Yeah. Of them.
1: Beside the statues. Yeah. uh,
2: You know who you are, Mr. Montana Man. You do that for us. And in the meantime, we'll get along with this story.
1: Yeah. So, you've introduced the character for this week's episode. It's an episode about Thomas Francis Meagher.
2: Quickly, before we get into this episode, should let you know that we've just realized after finishing uh, what we've just done, we need to do a second part of it. And so that will be, as always, like we like to do. To, you know, siphon more money out of people and trick you into paying for the Patreon. That's going to be behind the paywall on the Patreon.
1: The first episode is a like self contained story about a man, a revolutionary. Yes. It deals with his whole time. And then the second episode is going to just be, you know, the second chapter in his life. So you can have a full yeah. story, listen to this. And now if by the end of it, you're like, fuck, I want to know what happens to him, but I don't want to read it from Wikipedia like some sort of dweeb. Then head on over to the Patreon.
2: Yeah, no, this is the end of his, like, Irish revolutionary uh, roots and all of that story. And then there's a whole other story coming after that. So um, we'll chat to some of you there, maybe some new people. But um, if you don't want to have to, if you don't want to get all, like, teased, uh, don't listen.
1: Just read the whole thing on Wikipedia Yeah, um, But we just yeah, finished yeah, it
2: there It's a, li- li- it a good episode Listen to all of this yeah. And then you're like I'm not going to pay that five quid Go read the rest of it on Wikipedia Perfect A prayer for compromise Yeah So uh, yeah in- Enjoy this anyway Good luck
1: Gather around now Going for a story Old tales of all In search of a glory The History and mystery Of mad slashes and all Discoveries and voyages The rise and the fall
2: Thomas Meager was born in 1764, a Tipperary man possibly, but he he emigrated to America from Tipperary, Uh, to Newfoundland I should say. That is not America.
1: I was just, I thought you were going to crack the other half because I can guarantee he didn't emigrate from Tipperary. Why not? Did he set sail from Cashel Port? Or perhaps <laughs> the fine docks of Clonmel?
2: Well, I'd be kind of thinking of. Do you remember the Michael Fassbender Guinness ad? I think Lenny Abrahamson directed that one. And they play Heyday uh, yes. in the Christopher song. Is that Michael Fassbender?
1: Like, yeah. And no he walks
2: way. across the. Yeah. Uh, and he walks like, all through Ireland and then jumps into the ocean and swims across and then walks through like lads in New York playing basketball. Yeah. Goes and finds his brother and he's like, Click. crack. Straight resistant. in for a
1: pint. I hadn't watched that, but I thought about that a fair bit during lockdown when America was open and I couldn't get a pint here for months. And I was like, "You're thinking yeah. of swimming? I'm. I'm just thinking there's precedent. I'm just saying it's possible. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I'm just saying conceptually, if I if if this goes on for another month or so, I have options. Yeah, it's weird now because
2: I guess adverts they have to keep doing new ones. We've been talking recently about Guinness and yes. the fact that they have like a million different slogans. We, I was just in the Guinness storehouse, so we will do a Guinness episode soon. Sure, but yeah. um, the you think when it's such a big advert like that, and he, was, he wasn't he was a big name at the time, he was like a, a young actor, yeah, keep playing that ad, keep using that. Now you have Michael Fassbender in an ad, and you're not paying him millions. I think they now do yeah. they have Jamie Dornan now that they're paying money for for him to like drink Guinness and look to, to look at him he's not drinking Guinness He's in far too good. Never drank
1: a Guinness in his life. No.
2: So he's he's in uh, Newfoundland. Uh, he mm-hmm. heads over there as a teen in about 1780 uh, to be an apprentice to a clothier uh, with the surname Crotty. Crotty's clothies. Nice That's not the name of the store But I, I Well it might have been I, It might have exactly been. what I would have called it Yeah Now Crotty dies And Meager marries his widow Mary And Ooh. took over the business
1: Nice That's great yeah. That's a real apprentice Oh yeah
2: I'll Now I'll Thomas you've
1: been with me six months It's time we started talking at your other duties In taking over the business <laughs> Here's the styles my wife enjoys And we'll be giving you a trial run for this evening well, I'll let you fill in the blanks yourself, but I'm going that's to assume that's what he said to Thomas. Uh I but
2: I think I reckon he he killed him for no yeah. reason. I have no proof of that, but I'm just it would make the story a little saucier.
1: Yeah, why not? Yeah. This is the Hollywood no, treatment. Whenever like there's an already because I know bits of this story. It's already a fascinating story, but the second there's a movie option of it, they're like, well, who's he fucking? What's going on here? What's the what's the love angle? What if he killed that man? We need something. We, we need to grab you. I mean, we're talking about this story. and We've already got distracted and started talking about Harpads from 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, well, then, no, you're right. I'm going to get on with this
2: because we have a lot to talk about because he's a very important man. This Thomas Meager. Uh, yeah. he's, he's done well for himself. He grows the business. Uh, eventually starts buying some ships, diversifies a little bit. First ship named after Mary, Mary Crotty, or now Mary Meagher. Uh, mm-hmm. The second one. Uh, after what I assume is uh, a robot wife. Because he's called it the Triton.
1: <laughs> cool, yeah.
2: Triton for yeah. his second ship. The His mistress. His okay. mistress robot lady. Uh, in late 1809, he's in the shipping game. Obviously with these ships. They're not just there as ornaments. Uh, yeah. What's a good thing to ship from Newfoundland? The Labradors. Oh, good. Or um, uh, like trash metal bands. But uh, 13... Hundred and fifty quintals of cod shipped straight back to Waterford, because Ireland doesn't have enough fish, of course.
1: What the hell? How? Okay. Do you know what a quintal is? No, I have no idea what a quintal is. I have no idea how you keep fish fresh in eighteen oh nine across the Atlantic, fresher uh, than I you belie- get them off the coast of Waterford. I believe that you'd uh, store them in a filing cabinet. Ah, uh, yes, of course. What's what's a what's a quintal? Five. Uh, it's something. A hundred. Oh. Okay.
2: It's unique, so it could be pounds, could be kgs, could be anything. I don't know, if it was, but it's 1,350 quintals of cod. Okay. Amongst other things, other things that Irish people would need, like hurleys and slitters and yeah. shamrocks, and iron sweaters and faux mm. left-centre politicians who run the country like a dictatorship. I think the rest of Europe probably needed fish, though. And maybe it's easier to, yeah. sh- if you send over a huge amount of it from Newfoundland, you can just pass it off as Irish fish. Well, who, that's, we that's where was, my mind went.
1: Yeah, Irish people don't really eat fish as much as you would assume for an island nation. No. We ship a lot of it. We catch a lot of fish mm-hmm. and fishing rights is one of the biggest things that the government cares about but it's mostly to be sold to the Mediterranean.
2: Yeah. Even actually it's in the news
1: now with what with the with the Russians and,
2: yeah. <laughs> and all the lads in Cork going out to fight the Russians.
1: Yeah. I'm not entirely sure the what fish. the Russian Navy was doing some military exercise off the coast of Ireland and the Irish fishermen put a stop to it somehow.
2: Uh, yeah, they went out there and went hand to hand, man to man, much like how Brian McFadden was going to fight ISIS. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> and, well, I'll tell you this, when was the last time you heard of ISIS? When was the last time you heard of Brian McFadden? Brian McFadden's still going strong. Didn't he, at some point, uh, try to put someone
2: down on the like, radio show saying, "I say what you want about the toy show, I'm going to make more in two hours of work than you are all year doing your radio show. And then the it leaked how much he was getting paid and it was 1,500 quid.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The TV3 toy show. <sighs> I don't think they do it anymore. I think it was a one-off bad idea.
1: Yeah, that does seem like a sad shadow.
2: Yeah. Now, uh on the on the return journeys, these ships would bring back Irish emigrants. Uh, okay. Ireland's yeah.
1: greatest export.
2: Which I'm going to say is a big reason why the Newfoundland people
1: sound the way they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have real irish english accents yeah so it's probably be i'm not going to say it's all this lad probably a lot of it so do you reckon this makes a lot more sense they didn't really want the fish at all they just wanted the free passage back
0: yeah they were just ordering
1: quintel after quintel after fish and be like yeah that's grand thomas dump that over there now on your way back if you'd be a good lad and bring these 400 starving irish citizens with you well so 62 i believe was I saw on one thing, it said like 62 people, but I'm like
2: 1,350 quintals or whatever it is. So it's mm. a lot of fish. I reckon you can get more than 62 people on. And also, you're sending a lot of fish over and it's probably a lot of starving Irish
1: people leaving and emigrating. Well, in, I guess in the 18, early 1800s, it's not that bad. 62, it's probably luxury travel. You haven't got into like the famine coffin ship era yet. Yeah,
2: it's just, I assume it's taken a good few months, like three or four months. And it's a yeah. it's a ship that used to like, just recently had dropped over fucking tons of
1: cod. So it's going yeah. to be stinky as shit. Well, I, I don't think the people back then are as precious about smells as we are. Maybe not. They probably enjoy it. You know what else smells of fish? The sea, which you're going to be on for three months. So, you know, <laughs> it's much of a muchness. <laughs> That's fair. But now I've realized I've i uh, I've jumped ahead a little bit
2: because in 1796, he had a son called oh. Thomas Meager. Who this story is actually about. Um, I set you up, Kev.
1: You did. Damn. Thomas Meagher Jr.
2: Yeah. So when he was in his 20s, he was sent back to Ireland so he could run the Irish side of the business, those operations from Waterford. And things went well. And after a thriving business career, he
1: thought, what's the next
2: logical step?
1: After fish for men.
2: Mayor of Waterford.
1: <laughs> you all know me. I've been helping the brain drain of this region for nigh on thirty years now. <laughs> Remember your sons and daughters that left and you haven't seen them since? Remember the buckets and buckets of fish I've helped bring in here. Vote me for mayor of Waterford. It's a successful businessman though. That's I mean it makes sense. Yeah, it does This You're gonna run this
2: city like a business. But so after the two years in office as mayor, things have gone well and he goes, What's the next step? MP. Run for election. Yeah. Government. And then he was re-elected in 1852, so another five years. And then he stood down at the 1857 election. And here's a little tidbit about him. First Catholic to hold the role for 200 years, seemingly. okay. Fair enough. That's what I'd read. Now, I don't know if he married in Newfoundland or in Waterford, but he had a wife. Her name was... uh, I'm going to spell this out for you, and you can pronounce it for me. Because I have a... A-L-I-C-I-A...
1: Either Alice or Alicia.
2: Yeah, or like Alicia. I'm not sure. Alicia. And the reason I've, I've I've thrown it to you there is because I did date a girl a few years ago and that was her name. Yeah. And I realized after like the first date, I never asked how to pronounce it because I just seen right. it wrote down or like on Tinder or wherever. Yeah. And then like a month or two went by and I just never said her name. Mm-hmm. So I still to this day don't know. And then when I went on to YouTube... To go onto one of those like pronunciation videos, you type in the name. They're like, "This is how you say it," and I just put that in, and it said Alicia. I was like, "Got it," and then it just went or Alicia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just called her Alice. No, um, Al. I don't know. I, A, A, A. You, her, she, herself. Anyway, anyway, he I, to- <laughs> I was talking to a, a, our Belgian friend, and he's been living here for a couple of months, and he was referring to, <laughs> referring to his girlfriend as like the girlfriend or the misses. Like, That's you love to see it naturalization. <laughs> <laughs> they they don't say that in Belgium. <laughs> no, becoming more Irish than the Irish themselves. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um. So his wife, Alicia, Alicia Quain Meager. Had five kids, two of them survived childhood, Batten four hundred there, not bad. Yeah, good she was, uh, she, she was from a family of a giant trading company in Waterford. Right. Wise Cashin and Queen. Okay. So this is a, a union of love. Yes. And business. Yeah. A love of business. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh and the two that survived, the kids. The real them, Thomas Meager. Yes. Oh, you caught me out. This is Thomas
1: Francis Meager. Ah, <laughs> I was very joking. Okay, because I was wondering why you hadn't said Francis yet. Yeah, that's exactly what. Ah, yeah, I okay. wanted to give you
2: a backstory for the family.
1: That's a lot of backstory. I like it. Okay, mm.
2: so they had the, his sister's name was Christine Mary Meager. That's oh, yeah, I'll just finish up all the backstories was she doesn't okay. come into it again. So it's not it's not important. And his granddad's business, the one over in Newfoundland, it yeah. burnt down. In 1817, they tried to rebuild it but then declared insolvency in 1820. But the Irish side of the business is still going strong. Right. So now, our story begins. Thomas Francis Meagher, born on August 3rd, 1823, in Water Fjord City. <laughs> his mad died in childbirth when he was three. Right. So not his the other childbirth. No, I think uh, one of his, maybe another sister who died or something like okay. that. Yeah. He spent his early years in boarding schools, religious ones, Roman Catholic, as was the style of the time, uh, before heading off to Klongo's at the age of 11. Fancy Jesuit Jesus. place.
1: Yeah, I didn't know Klongo's had been around that long.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um. While there, he was in the debating society. And when no, he, he was he 15, he... Oh, oh, shut the fuck up. Let me talk. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> I can tell you've been in the debating society yourself. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, seemingly he was so good at it that he won a medal for arguing when he was 15. Okay. I think some people say debating, I say arguing. It is basically arguing, yeah. Now, he left there after graduating to study uh, at Stonyhurst College, Lancashire, England. Again, Jesuit. His dad didn't want to send him to Trinity, because why, Kevin? Uh, it was Protestants only. He had said it was too anti-Irish and anti-Catholic. Yeah, Uh, It's said that he was a prodigious student, but his professors had a tough time over in Lancashire understanding what the fuck he was saying with his big old bogman accent.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: To fix this, he adopted a rich Irish Protestant accent, which his countrymen loved when he returned to Ireland in 1843 at the age of about 20.
1: (laughs) If there's one thing we're known for, it's forgiveness of. If anyone leaves their hometown and then comes back with an affectation, they'll never be allowed here at the end of it. Or even if they don't change their, even if they don't, it's assumed that they have. Yeah,
2: that's good. we probably both uh, fall into that trap. I guess I definitely used to be a lot rawer.
1: Yeah, but I've seen I saw I saw men come back from Trinity back to Dundalk wearing scarves and fancy coats within a couple of months instead of just a, a shirt, an untucked, unbuttoned shirt instead of looking like Seamus Finnegan from the Harry Potter series. <laughs> or that's me the in Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We True. were in a bar and Kevin started talking to some
2: lads in Belfast and I was over with my American friend and Kevin said, "I guess which one of those two over there is Irish and which one's American? And then they said, well, is it your man with the shirt hanging out th- his back? <laughs>
1: yeah. He's, yeah, that's, yeah. 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 The unkempt. The, it's the, the rough and tumble Irish. charm of the every man, the poet, the farmer. <laughs> the drunken <laughs> Irishman <laughs> having way too many
2: pints in Belfast.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's what we're known for.
2: Yeah. Now, Thomas Francis Meagher had to hum and haul over whether he'd joined the Austrian army, which was a common thing at the time.
1: Interesting. For what? the
2: gentry, I believe. Or like the, like the rich, richer lads. In 1830? In the, well, it's the 40s now, but yeah. Right. Okay. And I think because they probably wouldn't want to join the English army and Ireland wouldn't have had their own one where you could no. actually have like a like a like an honourable enough, noble enough job there. So it's... We probably wouldn't even be allowed an army at the time, so it was more common to go over to Austria. Okay. But instead of following through with that, he decided to go to Dublin and start studying law. He set off for there, 1844, and became involved instantly in the repeal movement.
1: Okay, right.
2: The Repeal Association, Daniel O'Connell's anti-active union gang, the Rabble Rousers. That's so, what, uh, The Tivoli, did you know, was built for that reason, as a meeting place?
1: No, I didn't.
2: Oh. Yeah, it used to be called Conciliation Hill, and it was it was there for the repeal movement. Okay. Different kind of repeal movement that we, we kind of grew up
1: with. Well, I don't know if we grew up with it, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's any people there at the time of 2016, so people walking around with repeal jumpers and be like, get that damn Act of Union out of here. It's been too long. <laughs> we could do that, though, as a t-shirt for this podcast. Yeah, maybe. So, the yeah, the Act of Union was 1801 or so. Oh, you'd know be better right? than I would. I've got a script in front of me and I'm sticking to it. Stick, yeah. I guess it's been around for forty years. The yes, the, the Act of Union still there, full swing. So the Act of Union was that they mo- decentralised power from, they took power away from the Parliament in Dublin and you had know, to do everything through Westminster. Yeah, basically it's that. It's the first foothold in them just trying to get an independent Ireland again. There's, oh there's, yeah, there's, yeah. So getting yeah. rid of the Act of Union means bringing a government back to Ireland, even if it's still under the United Kingdom. It means at least there's an Irish Parliament. And then once you have your own parliament there, you can start uh, planning stuff. Exactly, yeah. It's the first step. Where you're like, no, it's all, all. we want is our own parliament. That's all we've ever wanted. And then two days after that setup, you're like, right now, uh, a free Ireland for all. Yeah, the banner is unfurl, and it's just a baby Michael Collins. Yeah, like, the prophecy shall be fulfilled. <laughs> so he's he's studying law, and he wants. Uh, he's joined up with the repeal movement.
2: Yeah, I don't know how much uh, law he actually studied, because it seems like he got up there and just instantly. Now, obviously, he'd been in Lan- Lancashire, so they wouldn't have talked much about over there of uh, the the rights of Irish people and what the, what the country wanted. No, and seemingly not. when he was in Clongos it was much the same. So this is probably one of his big first experiences with it. Which is weird, because I'll, I'll get on to it in a minute. But when because uh, his dad is 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 very a, a proud Irishman and Catholic. So he's it's just weird that his son didn't really understand that. That's what I'd read and I was like, Well surely the dad'd be burning the ears off about it. But he'd sent him to boarding school. Yeah, that's what I was going nice. Yeah. He sent him
1: away for you said he came back at like twenty. He did seem seem to send him away for all of his teenage years. When that's the perfect time. You have to rile people up in their teenage years or else they just it won't take as, as much. Yeah, but remember that lad at the podcast in Kilkenny, the
2: live show, who was able to recite Yeah. That that poem, and yeah. they are like, how do you know how to do that? He's like, my granddad used to uh, say it to me, to put me to bed. And then also when he would fall asleep, just when he'd be sitting in his, on his knee in the chair. So yeah. what was the dad doing for the first 11 years of his
1: life? That's
2: true. You got to get in. You got to get in early. And now when he's up there, he's making up for lost time, but his dad didn't tell him stuff because he started reading The Nation.
1: Okay. Well, maybe his dad was, because his dad was an MP in Westminster. Yeah. So maybe his dad didn't care.
2: No, well, he was the first Catholic to hold the position there for 200 years. So I'd say it was... Um, it was maybe really he was brilliant. like, I've
1: got I've got mine, Jack.
2: Also, maybe he just wasn't around a whole lot when he was younger because he was over in Westminster. Yeah, probably. Repeal, just so I can go home and see my children. It's a four-month yeah. journey
1: to get back to Ireland. So the people now that we have to go back to the office are arguing for, like, work-from-home laws so that they can rid of the commute. He just wanted to repeal the union so we wouldn't have to commute to London every week. I agree with it with all of that in a sense, but then it was weird that the people
2: were very upset when the it uh, was it Veradker or someone came out and was like, No, we're not we're not gonna make laws to make sure that you're allowed to work from home if
1: you want. I'm like yeah, it would be weird to do that. Well, they've made a law that you're as far as I know, you can ask your employer and they have to give you a reason and like a proper yeah. reason that's not just because.
2: Because, yeah, I need to see you at the desk to make sure you're doing work. It's like, why yeah. don't you just check my workload? You're like,
1: I don't know what this business is. <laughs> I need you in this building to justify my position as middle management. And also, we spent an awful lot of money renting this place. So, it would be quite foolish if that went to waste. <laughs> um, They could rent that out to people sleeping. Yeah, listen, that's too forward thinking. That is too forward thinking. There's probably a week let's get, there Let's start... get back to the past. Yeah, where <laughs> things make sense. Um... So he's reading The Nation. Yeah, he's reading The Nation. The paper so that so e- everyone that we've written about from this period has written for. Every episode yes. we've done about someone from the 1840s has written for The Nation. Because it's, it's Mitchell, isn't it? It's John Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. And all of yeah. them, all the young Irelanders. This is, uh, it'd be like, it's like
2: how everyone gets to write for a hot press these days. Uh, yeah. Shout out Matthew Tallent.
1: Yes, yeah. A very
2: good piece, just so I might, might I add. Everyone should go read that about why uh, comedy isn't seen as an art form in Ireland. And it's absolute bollocks. Yeah. But his dad is definitely um, th- th- Thomas Francis Meagher, not Matthew Tallon. Um His <laughs> dad is definitely like a staunch Republican because when they go down to Waterford to go to a repeal like meeting or a march or whatever, I was going to say a march is a very different march than the repeal that we've been used. To, yeah. Um, the his dad's there, and he's so he's definitely he's on board with all of this. Yeah. I know his son. Or, or or maybe it's like a bonding experience. It's like, what's my son into? It's, we've lost out on so much of our relationship. But I just want to pick whatever he's into. Is it dance? Is it is it theater? It's it's actually the repeal movement. Fantastic, e- easy. There's a mat like on this weekend. Like if I got into like vintage cars, my dad would be so happy.
1: Yes. Although I suppose the analogy for this would be like if your dad got into podcasts to try and relate to you. Yeah, which will be which very is Not gonna
2: happen. He doesn't know what that is. He still no. doesn't know what a podcast is. Uh, I was
1: listening uh, to the latest uh, come down there this evening, Jason. Uh, 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 I like Stav's laughter. I think it adds something to the ambience of the show. I'm real. Suck
2: my fucking penis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm partial. I to... really, I really liked it when they call Adam gay. <laughs> it was, um... <laughs> and you just have a tear in your eye. Give your old man a hug. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: no purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: But uh, Thomas was uh, junior, the youngest lad. Francis, uh, he was working as a secretary at these meetings down in Waterford for the for the movement. So he's 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 fully on board. He's in it now. He's in he's in the midst of it. At this time, uh, 1846, the Tory Party in England lost its power to the Liberals, and Daniel O'Connell tried to get the repeal movement to support this new Liberal government because they're saying oh we'll be sounder to you don't worry and we'll help fund you and stuff as well and uh, Meagher and a bunch of the other young Irelanders were saying feck that it's it's just basically a way to get subordination like we'll be nicer to you we'll give you money there's a pathway here and as Thomas Francis Meagher put it we'd be purchased back into factious vassalage so it
1: would be a a vassal,
2: yeah, no, yeah, it's like basically subordination. That would just be under the thumb again, but in a slightly new manner.
1: Yeah, so Daniel, Daniel O'Connell wants to go the political way and leverage all of the Irish MPs to cozy up to the Liberal Party, get them a power, and then go back to how things were in the late 1790s. Which yes, was, we get, we get our yeah, yeah. Whereas French. these the young Irelanders are like, no, oh, let's go the full hog. Yes, we want the whole thing, but the whole um, enchilada. What's an enchilada? I have no idea, but I want it. The whole thing. <laughs> His dad wasn't in Mexico shipping back quintals
2: of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of quesadillas. Jimmy Changas. In Ireland, we call them Jimmy Changas. Yeah. The, um, but uh, denouncing the idea of supporting that government and English liberalism in Ireland, saying they couldn't support an English government unless they repealed the Acts of Union, Meagre and the other bios divided opinion in the movement there was a lot of men who wanted to go about things through government, like you just said, you know, gaining yeah. seats and political power themselves, maybe in some kind of a selfish manner. Um, I'm saying that. None of the stuff I read said that. Yeah. But, and as such, went about saying these young books were revolutionaries, enemies of the church, despite their claims of being quite the opposite. And Ooh. in July that year, so very shortly after, about a month or so, I think, the liberals in England took power. O'Connell uh, and his men declared that violence should never be used as a means to an end in pursuit of uh, repeal. Now, until this point, the young Irelanders hadn't broached the subject of violence. But now that it's on the table, yeah, but yeah, much like telling a man to calm down when he's already a little bit annoyed, you've just mm. exacerbated the idea. Yeah, it's like inception. It's it's in there now. You've planted the seed. <laughs> And O'Connell still working with the Whig government, which are called Lord Russell's Liberals, uh, and his homies uh, came up with up with the peace resolutions. And again, Meagher didn't want to use force, but he did say that if repeal couldn't, oh, the the peace resolutions were basically the same thing like you never you should never use violence to get what, to get this, and they put that basically into a law. But we haven't done it yet; we haven't even said that.
1: Yeah, it's good that they had some in eighteen forties that they write a law to be like, don't use violence to get what you want yeah no one had thought of that but, yet
2: but meager uh, who didn't again didn't want to use force but did say that if repeal couldn't be successful through honorable moral means then maybe they'd have to look at some other avenues but, you know still honorable just other mm-hmm. avenues yeah the resolutions were proposed again a few weeks afterwards and meager gave his infamous sword speech uh, which was edited by arthur griffith oh Now, I'm going to give you a a smaller version of this because it's way too long. Um, And by that, I mean, I didn't read the whole thing. Of course.
1: How young, what age is Arthur Griffith then? Probably young enough, I think it's like, what's this, 18...
2: Yeah, he would have been... Well, sure, all the lads are pretty young. Yeah, yeah, they're the young Irelanders. Yeah. The, um, The errors of the past may be repaired. The hopes of the future will not be fulfilled. With a vote in one pocket, a lease in the other... And full justice before him at the petty sessions, in the shape of restored magistrate, the humblest peasant may be told that he is free. But, my lord, he will not have the character of a free man, his spirit to dare, his energy to act. So he said, it's going to be shite. Yeah. If they... They may, they they, may think they're free, but they won't be. Yeah. And he, he also said, I dissented from them, peace resolutions... Hmm. For I felt that by assenting to them, I should have pledged myself to the unqualified repudiation of physical force in all countries, at all times, and in every circumstance. This I could not do. For, my lord, I do not abhor the use of arms in the vindication of national rights. That, like, occasionally, you know, it's needed. Yeah. Um, it's the sword yeah, there's way more to that, but it's it's a very, very long and very uh, flowerful language
1: that yeah. uh, I can't pronounce a lot of. Pe- people had very little to be at back then. Like, if a man was giving a speech, you would really want it to go on for four hours. Mm. There was no films at the time? No. Even when there were films, like, I was talking this morning about Gone with the Wind. When I first saw Gone with the Wind, the file I downloaded had, like, a 15-minute title screen in the middle that just said intermission. <laughs> but that's... <laughs> That's what people want. You could have edited that down. Uh Well, yeah, you could, but that's what people wanted, you know. So it was like four and a half hours long. I used to want that.
2: I think, what is it, the Harry Potter or something did it? When I, like maybe the first one?
1: Well, it had an the, intermission?
2: It, yeah, when I was younger, I, I think it was Harry Potter it, uh, watching that film when I was a kid. And I was like, great, I get to go for a piss and okay. you don't miss anything. And you're like, right, well, how about if you did do it? You know, if a if film's two and a half, three hours, halfway through, lads, you have five, ten minutes.
1: Yeah, I'm on board. Bring it back. Not a crazy idea.
2: I mean, I've gone to the cinema twice in the last three years, but still, when I am there, they're very (laughs) short films because I don't have the attention span. Yeah. Um, But John O'Connell, during all of this, when he's given this speech, uh, that's Daniel's son, he interrupts Meager. Seems like he's got most of it out anyway because I've read the speech. It's very, very long. Uh, Mm. uh, So it's like everywhere everywhere I read said, oh, he's interrupted him. It's like, well... Can we go for a piss? (laughs) Yeah, this is quite a lot. But he had said that uh, the two lads are obviously disagreeing on what to do. One of them is going to have to leave. And the dissenters all said, "Fuck this, and bounced out. Because they were saying it's suppression of free speech. You should have let the man talk. The opposite of what this movement about. A nation divided.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, in January 1847, so five or six months after this, uh, Thomas Francis Meagher, John Mitchell, William Smith O'Brien... Uh, he's one of the founders of the repeal movement as well. And he yeah. walked out, one of the first to walk out, one of the big head honchos when John O'Connell was was being a dick. Um, and Thomas Devon Riley founded the Irish Confederation, a new repeal movement. The
1: new confederates.
2: Uh, the year after Meagher and William Smith O'Brien went to France to study uh, wine and bread and smoking cigarettes eloquently. And yeah. the revolutionary ideas that seemed to work for them over there
1: Nothing to do with, yeah, so that was, like, at the height of the famine in Ireland mm. as well. Like, yeah, maybe this is a good time to go to France and learn about cigarettes.
2: Uh, yeah, well, it is a good, in fairness, it's a good time to go over and learn about uh, revolutions. Yeah, that is true. And
1: upon returning, what did they have with them, Kev? Well, by God, Jason, they were the first Irish men to come back draped in the tricolour. Well, yes, they were. Yes.
2: Now, can you tell the listeners what the tricolour used to look like back then?
1: What it used to look like? Uh, yeah. I don't know, I'm assuming it was green, white and orange, mm-hmm. but it also had a harp in the middle? It had the Red Hand of Ulster in the middle. Yeah, okay, cool.
2: And it was the, it looked more like Cote d'Ivoire or Ivory Coast because it was orange, white and green.
1: Right, and then with the Red so Hand of Ulster, it. so they're really placating to the other yeah, side. Yeah, they're,
2: tra- they're trying to get all the lads up north on board.
1: Yeah, okay. You can go
2: first and we'll have your hand. Nick well, maybe Cave would that's... be delighted.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we were talking about this with Brian and James actually about if you unified the country, what would the new flag be? There's an idea. I I'd go with that. That sounds pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I, I like the Ivory as well. Coast and wouldn't
1: be happy, but you know, what are they going to do? The yeah, beat us,
2: beat us at football, probably.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, but it was a French lady that actually made it for them.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Handed it off as like a a parting gift.
1: What's this, we should say then for anyone because it sounds like folksy folk history. But I think it is actually true that it was made with the idea of the orange being Protestant, the green being the Irish Republican movement, and then the white being the peace between them. It was a new flag for a new nation.
2: Yes, because that's actually, I have a a quote about it here. Now, this comes from a one, Thomas Francis Meagher, the the lad the story's about.
1: Oh, yes, yeah, the The,
2: affirmation. The white in the center signifies a lasting truce between the orange and the green. And I trust that beneath its folds, the hands of the Irish Protestant and the Irish Catholic may be clasped in generous and heroic brotherhood. That it was flown first. Well, sorry, yeah,
1: because I said the Irish Republican movement back then, but, yeah, the Irish Catholic movement. Yeah. They, sh- they should put all the... Do you ever see, like, the Connaught flag? It's like a half bird, yeah, half it's cool man's arm with a sword. Fucking so put that on there. It's cool as Get shit. them all in. Eh. Ah. And a harp and a pint yeah. of Guinness. Yeah. And... Three crowns for Munster. I think we should just make it the most complicated looking flag possible. And a plough and some stars. Yeah, yeah. Um and a boxing glove. <laughs> sure. The uh
2: what what else do I like?
1: Well who do you have the name of the the French lady who made the flag or is it just French I, woman?
2: I, uh, her name, uh, lucky enough was old French lady. Nice. That's handy. Mm. Yeah, uh, the flag was flown first on March 1st, 1848, at the Waterfjord by-election. It was first flown uh, at the Mall, uh, number 33, only a stone's throw from where Meagre had lived the first two years of his life, down at number 19. Okay. Yeah, the Mall is a, it's a square or whatever down in, in Waterfjord. Yeah. Uh, he had a Tone Confederate club. He was, like, running a club there, basically. Okay. And this was where it went up. Uh, And what happened in 1848 Ireland, Kevin? Um, The famine continued. There is that. And what was the other big thing? Well, obviously the famine's a pretty big thing. What was the other thing that happened?
1: Um, It was the the Young Irelander Revolution. It was. By God it was. Yeah, yeah. In
2: particular, there was the Battle of Ballingarry. This is the one that uh, Thomas Francis Meagher had been involved in, uh, also known as the Famine Rebellion. It took place on July 29th. A few miles north of the village of Ballingarry, Tipperary. This was about a week after habeas corpus was suspended, and the young Irelanders decided uh, now was the time to make a stand. Do you want to explain to the listeners what habeas corpus is? I've looked this up so many times, and I can never. It's like. Because we we've had it before on the. Yeah. Uh, talking about the,
1: the land um, acts of whatever. Yeah, yeah, it comes up all the time because they're always. Yeah, it's the right not to perjure yourself is it no it's when you're allowed
2: to throw someone into jail without a uh, fair trial
1: yeah okay yes
2: so then that's, that's when the young irelanders are like um what now <laughs> but it seems like this is
1: specifically something for us yeah uh, we heard okay, you've so been go- flying flags and throwing stones Then there in waterford <laughs> even walking around with your your jeans
2: rolled up so we can see your ankles that's a padlet. That is a paddling. So going around Kilkenny, Wexford and Tipperary, trying to rile up support for the lads. Uh, and uh, that's that's what Meager was up to himself. Uh, and on the 29th, when the military and police came down to arrest William Smith O'Brien, your man had said earlier, walked out. Yeah, They were in the commons, which is uh, in uh, just outside Ballingarry. I think it's like a mine. But his local supporters, small tenant farmers, tradesmen, miners and such, had set up barricades to prevent the arrest. The soldiers thought... This might not be the best time. So they Mm. swung a right and set off for Kilkenny. Now, the rebels, who the boys had recruited at this stage, followed them. And 47 no-good nicks holed up in in two farmhouses, taking five children as as hostages. These policemen. Oh. And military boys or whatever. the
1: dirty dogs.
2: Yeah. And they begin a standoff. The mother of the kids and owner of the house, Margaret McCormick, was refused entry to the house and they wouldn't give her back her kids. She spots O'Brien scoping out the gaff for possible entry points of attack and such. She goes, what's what's going to happen to me kids here now? And O'Brien goes, ah, shite, you're right. Okay, so he brings her up to the parlour room and starts negotiating with the captors, these police. Okay. Says, we are all Irishmen. Give up your guns and you're free to go. And there's accounts that he shakes hands with some of the police through the window. And then what happens uh, next is up for debate. If you're also the kind of person that thinks the Branch Davidians fired first at the ATF.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: They shot at O'Brien. And that's what I'm saying. Much like the ATF shot first. The Okay. Uh, this standoff now gets a little bit more Mexican.
1: Right. So he's gone down and shook hands with them. And then they shot at him.
2: Yes. They were like agreeing
1: everything and it was probably just
2: one fella who was a bit trigger happy yeah, and kind yeah. of nervous and uh, shock goes, maybe maybe it hits a dog and then maybe other people start shooting and then maybe they throw tear gas in that's completely unnecessary and then maybe they start firebombing. That's it. No, I've gone back to the other one. Yeah, then. Yeah. Um, but this went on for hours. Police with a better position for a gunfight, given the fact that they're in the house with windows as kind of like cover and they can shoot out those and all the rebels are like hiding behind walls and gates and out in the open. Um, So they shoot a few of the rebels uh, and then as uh, often what happens when you get shot, uh, they die. So Catholic Reverend, which I didn't know was a thing.
1: Yeah. what What sort of hellish mix is that?
2: I assumed someone knew that I was going to write this podcast. And they were like, I'll have him on. But no, yeah, it's all like a Catholic reverend. So I was like, I unless
1: his name was Reverend and he was just a Catholic. Maybe. And it was it's like Catholic Reverend Philip Fitzgerald. It sounds like he's having an identity crisis. It's like an age of emperors when you'd convert one of the monks from the other side. Ah, yes. Or isn't There's... there an
2: episode where you go around and like find naked lads in the trees, just in like woods and stuff and try to convert them as a monk to. Yeah. That's good too. That's good. Great as well, game. Yeah. Great game. Great fucking game. I'm going to try and find that. Age of Empires 3. Is that the one that you got free? I think a lot of Irish people got it free when they bought their first computer. It was like just handed out as a disc. No, we had Age of Empires 2. Uh, we had like Joan of Arc and one William Wallace and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: that's Age of Empires 2, I think. Well, I thought that was true. Either way. But great Either game. Way. Great stuff.
2: Uh, so this Philip Fitzgerald Philip uh, Catholic reverend, he tries to mediate the problem. It was only when the casual police came to no avail, I think. But it was only when the casual police, no uh, police came, things started kind of dampening down. The rebels tried to shoot at them, but already what kind of like "Anything's dampening down." Well, uh, they they are low on ammunition, so then it dampens down because they're like, Fick.
1: "Okay, it's time to negotiate."
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh and when it looked like they're done for, because obviously now there kind of there's police forces on both sides of them. They do the honourable thing, and. They run away, yeah, always a good option to have always. The, uh this is known as the Battle of Widow McCormick's cabbage plot, right, <laughs> okay, yeah, which is the best was she a widow before it. this battle, I believe so, because they don't mention the husband yeah. unless maybe he was one of the rebels, maybe. but no, I don't think so,
1: yeah, maybe it was one of the rebels, and like as he's running away, he's like, this has been known as the widow McCormick,'s it's like, what, get back here you, oh good <laughs> son of a. I got you five kids here. Yeah, yeah. He's already writing the song as he's running away about the brave <laughs> widow.
2: <laughs> but uh, now, the, yeah. So the English thought that this was uh, wasn't good. It's was not good crack. These rebels no. trying to attack. But ultimately, they had to see it from they had to see it from the rebels' point of view. Their nation had been taken from them. They tried to get it back peacefully, and as such, had no alternative than to you know resort to violence. So they agreed to go lenient on the men who were in charge of the revolution.
1: Very understanding of them.
2: Oh, no, sorry. They, uh, they, (laughs) they, was a newly passed law called ex post facto, which allows you to retroactively change the laws and punishments for crimes. And that meant that uh, having been found guilty of sedition, the rebel leaders, including Meagre, were sentenced to be hanged, drawn and quartered. Yeah, that's more, that's more like the empire that I remember. And then, uh, fun note, sidebar, uh, Mm -hmm. when we finally did get a constitution, they made it illegal to do that.
1: That seems like a... Yeah, to, so you can't yeah, to go, go back retroactively and change laws. To be very specifically just what the person you want to kill had done. Yes. And then change the penalty to be death. But I would like to have been there when someone suggested that. Going,
2: to ah, we can't do that. What if we change the law? Well, it's going to be too late now. What if we go back and change the law? <laughs> but so what does meager do? He's pretty good at this. He's yeah, a good yeah, orator. Yeah. You know, he's been debating. Uh uh-huh. He's won a medal for that when he's younger. He gave that great speech earlier
1: on, with the sword speech. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were going it's to, to say he uses his other orating skills and he hops in a boat and <laughs> flees.
2: <laughs> uh, no, but we'll get on to boat stuff later on. Does so he plead his case? Uh, it, yeah, he, he did a famous speech called the uh, Speech from the Dock. Uh, <laughs> he some. is on a boat. <laughs> well, I'll give you some of this now. Uh My lords, it is my intention to say a few words only. I desire that the last act of proceeding which has occupied so much time of the public should be of short duration. So here's the edited version of that speech because uh, it was far too long. It was eight (laughs) hundred and ninety-five words. He's like just a a few quick
1: words. Yeah, it's a ten. Is he like I'll keep it short because this procedure has already taken up too much of the public's time. (laughs) <laughs> as he, like, sets up. <laughs> but again, back then, if you were going to go see this thing, it, it took you a day to get there. You're like, I want my money's worth. That, that is
2: fair. And it, it is actually, this one, it's nowhere near as long as the last one, and it's quite good. But I will give you a shortened version, or just a couple of uh, the, the main points. Um, Did I fear that hereafter, when I shall be no more, the country I tried to serve would speak ill of me? I might indeed avail myself of this solemn moment to vindicate my sentiments and my conduct. But I have no such fear. The country will judge of those sentiments in a light far different from that in which the jury by whom I have been convicted have viewed them. And by the country, the sentence which you, my lords, are about to pronounce will be remembered only as the severe and solemn attestation of my
1: rectitude and truth. So he's like, right, whatever you say to me now. The people in this country, in years to come, will remember me a hero, and you will not come off well in the story. Exactly. There will be a podcast in the year two thousand and twenty-two where I am the hero and you are all the losers. Which he's right in that sense. He is, yeah. But I, you kind of—I'd say all revolutionaries have some variation of that speech, and it just depends on what happens afterwards, whether it's true or not. Yeah, it's a fifty—it's a gamble. It's fifty-fifty. Yeah, cause... you may as well go down swinging. Yeah, you're either right. I'm, I'm sure uh, there's a dictator that have said the same
2: before as well. Absolutely, like, yeah, yeah. Like so, Hussein or like Gaddafi were like, well, "Just wait till you get rid of me. It's it's gonna be way feckin' worse." Yeah, which actually, now in fairness, I've said that. uh I examples <laughs> Those are two are good both, examples. Yeah, yeah, especially Gaddafi. It's, yeah, that place, a mess. Yeah. Um, he goes on to say, "Treason uh, only counts if you go by." Well, this is not a quote. Um Basically, that like treason only really counts uh, if you go by the English law or their viewpoint. As Irish people think he's doing a good thing, technically the opposite of treason, because he's trying to set his country free. Yep. He doesn't blame the Irish people who found him guilty, but does say that once convicted and sentenced to death, he'll go to a higher court where many wrong judgments are reversed. Uh, Heaven. Okay, the biggest court of all. Yeah, well also that's a big one. It's like, you might say I'm guilty, but big man up there. Yeah. He knows. (laughs) He knows the crack. <laughs> I'm going to be cleared by the g men But uh, but while they were waiting, all the lads were waiting to be executed, uh, a combination of the public saying, uh, Boo! <laughs> and uh, international pressure not to murder these men. They got a full pardon, which saw them sentenced to penal exile for the rest of their lives over in the other side of the world. Other okay. side of the world is a quote.
1: Oh, okay. I, yes. A full pardon's a bit misleading there. I mean, like, it's a full pardon. You're just being exiled forever. Yeah, it's good though. It is good news. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, You're I right, mean, it's not yeah, full like, pardon. But it if is I was being told I'm not being executed and just being sent to Australia, I wouldn't be like it's not a full pardon, is it? It's yeah, it's a, not. Cool. Bit is of a Technically, technically, yeah, technically. <laughs> don't be. I'm just saying, don't be walking in here saying I've oh, got a full pardon if it's not a full. I mean, I'm grateful and whatever, but
2: Did um. I know I'm a child uh, mentally, mm-hmm. but what I did real... I've, I've heard the term before. When I saw it wrote down, it said penile exile. And I was like... <laughs> 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 uh,
1: they're going to <laughs> send their dicks off to Tasmania. Should <laughs> not being executed, but what life is that for a man? <laughs> uh, so it's
2: 1849 and all the lads are sent to Van Diemen's land. Which is oh, yeah. modern, modern day Tasmania. Yeah. Uh, you know, where all the crooks went back in the day. They mm-hmm. were sent to different corners um, so they couldn't be chatting to each other. Kind of like punishing lads in school who were talking too much. <laughs> yeah, you separate them out. But also, the other thing I know I'm a child because when I, I read Van Diemen's Land, I started thinking about like if they keep making Fast and the Furious movies and people keep going to watch them, Vin Diesel could buy Tasmania and call it Vin Diesel Land.
1: That's true. Yeah.
2: And none of that really rhymes or makes any sense. Makes any
1: sense, no. Because you could buy anywhere and call it Vin Diesel land.
2: Yeah. no,
1: whatever. Yeah,
2: it did take me a few minutes. uh, I was like, that would be great. And I kind of (laughs) daydreamed about that for a while. And then I got back to this story from the 1840s. So after hearing uh, this decision on July 20th, 1849, Meager wanted to, from that point onwards, be known as Thomas Francis O. Meager.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. More Irish.
1: That's, that's no meager feat.
2: Yeah, but now is it is it true? Because we've talked about this before. Do we ever get to the bottom of it? That like the famine you know, thing. T- yeah, taking the soup. No. You've said that that's not true, I and don't think I've it said is. that I would prefer it
1: if it was. Yes, <laughs> I've, I've put it on record saying I'd, I'd rather if that was true. Yeah, I don't th- I don't think that specifically was true, but it probably is true in a sense. Families Do probably that- dropped the O in order to like to get along.
2: Yeah, maybe, but then, like in Hollywood,
1: right? People would change their name from like very Eastern European or Russian or like Jewish kind names to more Anglicized names in order to get roles. I assume uh, people yeah. just did it, not necessarily for the soups, but they probably just did it to get jobs. I don't jobs. like that's the the spelling of
2: stuff just to. It's not even like to uh, assimilate easier. It's just because some people couldn't pronounce some of our like the names, like yeah, the, sure. like the the forename and the surname. Yeah, but with an O, it's the easiest one. Yeah, it's like
1: well, I guess it's a dead giveaway if it's an O apostrophe and if they wanted to get a job in Old Protestant Ireland. Yeah, maybe maybe families just dropped it.
2: Yeah, possibly. But again, I've put it on record. I would prefer it to be the the soup taken. Yeah,
1: conceptually it is like soup taken, but maybe not just literally. Uh, yeah, that's probably fair. So he goes the other way and he's like, I want to be Omega. Francis of the Meagres. Yes. Uh, Now, I'm not going to refer to him as Omeagre for the rest of this
2: because it actually ties into what we were just saying. I'll explain that now in a second. Yeah. Um, Because I've never heard him called Omeagre. No. So the, the, you know, ticket to leave is what it's called. We've had people that get this punishment before. And basically, you've got to go. You've got to accept this ticket to leave. You go to Tasmania and then you have to promise not to try and escape. But if you are going to try to escape, you have to let the authorities know in advance.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we did all this with the John Mitchell episode, but yeah, it's ba- you were let roam free around Van Diemen's Land, and mm-hmm. if you, we never really got to the bottom of it. I think we just—it's all just honor. Yes. If you, you, so you could escape with this ticket for leave, but then you, you know your name would be dirt, whether it was Meager or o-meagre. wouldn't be worth living. Mm-hmm.
2: Again, I don't. Un- I don't know how strict they were about it, because it's like, I know I told them, but like what, you just wrote a note and sent it, and then it's going to take like a day or two to get there, by which time you've already yeah. gone.
1: Well, it, it's kind of like, we like films and movies about like daring escapes, where people out with the guards, and sneak off in the night with mannequins, and like, we don't really like stories where like, if someone, you know, someone stabs their way out of prison, you know what I mean? It's probably the, Equivalent of that. Usually you
2: stab your way into prison.
1: Yeah, you stab your way into your prison, you can stab your way out of it. But you know, the people like use violence and threats to escape prison, it's not as we don't really like those stories. We don't retell them as much as stories of like cunning and escape. It's probably the same as that. Like you could escape with a ticket for leave, but it's not going to be like a heroic tale.
2: That's fair. But also, I mean,
1: like, and a big thing about the ticket to leave was
2: that you're being sent to Tasmania, but within this case, you're not like quite a thief. Yeah, so, like you're not going. So you're not seen as low levels come. You get a lot of leniency. You're allowed to walk around. You're allowed to like live yeah. a life over there. You just have to be all the way over there. And it's you know he's from Waterford. He's living in Tasmania. I'd say like the punishment is the sun
1: and the climate. <laughs> well, there was some yeah. There was a quote from the John Mitchell's book where he was talking about you know walking around. Oh, so th-
2: this is this is the same time because Mitchell has been. Set it is, with yeah, it's it. the same. Yeah, 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 the
1: same guys. But Mitchell was like on horseback going around and like. He'd see other, you know, common Irish criminals who'd been sent over and they were all in chains doing, you know, slave labor, breaking rocks. And the guards would be standing over them and they just like give Mitchell the salute when he's walking past. And he's like, ah, truly, this is a terrible prison for me. (laughs) Like they were Mm basically, they could, they were allowed to do what they wanted, even though they had caused way more trouble than someone who just robbed a loaf of bread or whatever.
2: Oh, well, I'll get into that now, actually, because he, um, yeah, like his life isn't so bad over there. He's sent to Campbelltown first, uh, and then to a place called Ross, his cottage. You can still find it there today, by yeah. the Still intact. Don't make him like they used to. Um But he would still secretly see some of his old Irish comrades. Yeah. And he did manage to settle down when he was over there. Got hitched February twenty second, eighteen fifty one, to a lady called Catherine Bannett Bennett. Mm. Um her dad, farmer, who was sent to Tasmania after Robin some post,
1: okay, <laughs> like letters, yeah. <laughs> and then you have this lad okay. who organised
2: a revolution and got more yeah. lot lads to go and try and shoot and kill a bunch of policemen. Yeah,
1: and I'd say the farmer is in shackles. Yeah,
2: I think the postman might have just delivered it to the wrong address, and he just didn't.
1: <laughs> Had like six hundred guards come down and wants to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> I'm Paddy J. Flanagan. You're looking for Paddy L. Flanagan. Oi, 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 (laughs) oi. But uh, his revolutionary brothers
2: weren't uh, fans of the marriage because she was a lowly commoner. That's so
1: funny. I was just, before you said he was a farmer, I was going to say it's probably, he probably didn't approve. But so his rebel friends didn't approve of him marrying. (laughs) The farmer was like, yeah, yeah. what did you? You tried to topple the government. God, that's class. Oh, he's a bit of a bad boy.
2: Yeah, but I guess, I guess it's a case of like beggars can't be choosers because there's probably not too many women down there.
1: No, it's a hard dating scene. People complained about dating in quarantine. Dating when you're a prisoner in Van Diemen's land in
2: 1840. Or dating in uh, a fully open and unrestricted carlo in modern times. Yeah, <laughs> you know. There's not difficult. a whole lot going. No. But uh, they build a house together on Lake Sorrel, uh, but she soon after becomes ill. And it wasn't long after this that Meagher tried to escape. He gave up his ticket to leave, set about trying to find a way to America. He told the authorities that in 24 hours he'd consider himself a free man. Okay. So he escapes the island, leaving a sick wife. Heavily pregnant, I wasn't sure if that was the illness.
1: (laughs) She's got a swelling in her stomach and a terrible mood. I don't know what's happening. Um, So this this happened in the other one as well. Whenever they give up the ticket for leave, they have to go into the office or whatever and give it back to the authorities. And then I don't understand why they're not immediately arrested on the spot, or detained. They're just sort of allowed leave.
2: I kind of assume that they, again, they send it to their, or they like leave it somewhere, like, they're not going in just like that. They couldn't. No. That would just make no sense. Unless
1: they start counting and they're like, okay, five in a yeah. head start. <laughs> Maybe he got his father-in-law to go in and then Maybe the letter got misplaced. Or he gave it to the father-in-law. He brought
2: it down to hand in and they said, this isn't your letter. You're at it again. <laughs> oi, 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 oi. <laughs> We've caught him. Where, where has he been sent to this time?
1: I don't know. Waterford. I... <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> he plays worse than Van Diemen's Land.
2: But, um, yeah, so, he's, uh, so Thomas Francis Meagher at this point then sets off for New York. Yeah, so uh, I guess son...
1: they, they don't really put that bit in the songs where it leaves his pregnant, sick wife behind.
2: Yeah, the, there is actually a lot of songs about him as well. We, no, I don't yeah. Can, yeah, we might throw one into the end of this, but they're not. In fairness, they're not great. Um, mm. Just in terms of like, they're not catchy. They ain't bangers. No, all filler, no killer. But uh, he has a son. The the wife she she births him a son that he okay. uh, doesn't. He doesn't get to meet him. Uh, Henry Emmett Fitzgerald Omega and he died about. Yeah, he died at like four months of age, not long after Thomas had got to New York. Now, Catherine, the wife, uh, she heads off to London, where she's met by Thomas Senior. Ah,
1: former he mayor her, of Waterford.
2: Exactly. And he brings her back to Waterford, where she's welcomed by thousands of citizens, Republicans. Okay. Because such as Me- Meager's famous back home now for being, yeah. a Repo- you know, the revolutionary Republicans. They're like, ah, sure. hi, hi, his wife. <laughs> But she was still sick at the time. Uh, And now I've heard this. I'm going to say this sentence and you can tell me whether it's true or not. Uh, I'm saying it is. Okay. Uh, She was serenaded. uh, I'm not saying back to health, but I am saying back to health (laughs) by a crowd of 20,000 Waterfordonians.
1: Waterfordites. I believe it. That that definitely isn't just something that falls into like the revolutionary mythology that this woman. Because I guess she was... Was she born in on Van Diemen's land?
2: I think so. I, yeah. I couldn't
1: really figure I couldn't find that out either. But so um, say she spent a lot of time there and then time in London, and it was only when she came back home to the green green fields of Era that suddenly the sickness didn't seem so bad.
2: Um No, that's not true either. because uh, she she's there for a little while, gets over to America, sees Thomas again, uh he gets her pregnant again. Fair play to him. And sends her back home to Ireland because he knows the cost of American healthcare, the, the healthcare system over That's there. That's it. And he's like, uh, we'd better just use the HSE. So she goes back there. Kid, this one, lives to adulthood. Okay. His name, Thomas Bennett Meager.
1: So the first kid's name was Henry Emmett Fitzgerald Meager. Yeah. And then this one gets the name Thomas. This is sort of like how the kids are named at the end of the Harry Potter films. I don't know why we're talking about Harry Potter so much this episode. But I assume he was named after Henry Gatton and Robert Emmett.
2: Oh, good point.
1: Yeah. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. So, who was this one named after? What's this one called? Thomas.
2: Thomas Bennett Meager, which I think is, was that her, that's her name. That was her, like her surname. She's probably taken his name. So, it's like, that used to be a thing, a way to continue on the legacy of, like, because the woman if you only had like a yeah a, I know what a, you mean yeah that the woman's yeah, family like, name the name would be lost yeah so are the right, mother's oh, family the middle name, name, name. Used, yeah. yeah so I think they do that and then this one lives so I'm saying that Thomas good strong name yep. lucky name yeah yeah she dies uh, yeah she dies in 1854
1: right Jesus so that's not so what it's been five years since he was sent to Van Diemen's Land escaped got her pregnant twice yeah she's gone from Van Diemen's Land to London to Ireland to America to back to Ireland had two kids yes. and died. Yeah. They really packed it in back then. Eventful time, it is in fairness. Yeah. Like, There's a, a sad reality that you could come to us in five years and nothing would have changed.
2: Oh, God, no. We'd have regressed worse. <laughs> We'd have, I'd have forgotten places I've traveled. Yeah. Never mind going to new places. But, uh, yes, yeah, so that's all in about this space at three, three and a half years.
1: Very brave going.
2: Yeah, so no wonder she was ill. She was wrecked. Yeah. But, um. She she dies, not during childbirth, uh, childbirth but shortly enough after, uh, and he's raised by relatives. Never met the da. Okay. And why? has he stayed over in America. Well, yes, I, I had written down the script that uh, that'll all come out in episode two on the Patreon, where we discuss uh, his time in America, marrying a Protestant, fighting in the Civil War as he leads the Irish Brigade into it. Becoming the governor of Montana and his eventual mysterious disappearance slash death. Very good. Excellent. And yeah, so that's the, that was the end of this per- first half. The other one's going to be on the Patreon, like we said at the beginning. For those people who skipped the intro, like we know some of you do, Um, the second half of this story, that's the, the whole self-contained part of the Irish revolutionary part of his life, etc., that's done now. Now there's all this extra stuff that he does in America that uh, if you want to listen to, there's actually, this is where I'll start being a little more salacious and, uh, and dropping things like saying, I have a feeling this lad's an alcoholic.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. You couldn't just say that about a normal man. From 1850s, who emigrated to America. I, wasn't to
2: about, I was going to say that, I was going to say that, but an Irish revolutionary, a rebel. No, no, sir. But now that he's he's done with that part of his life and he's moved over to America,
1: now he's just a, a an old Irish retiree.
2: Yes, a man trying to much re- more
1: susceptible to alcoholism.
2: But, but yeah, that's um. I suppose that's all we have for this part of uh, the episode. Yeah. Um As always, yeah, you can that find us all on the Instagram anywhere. Just Shite Talk History. If you just type Shite Talk now into Google. We're the first thing that pops up, not like the Urban Dictionary idea of like a Irish people talking shite It's our podcast. We've got to like another level of fame. Yeah, it's like when Charlie Murphy, the actress from um, Love Hate,
1: yeah, overtook the other Eddie Murphy's brother. Yeah, no way.
2: That was a I, that was the first I interviewed her. She was my first ever like video interview uh, no. when I was back back when I used to like movie uh, journalism and stuff.
1: I would put a tenor that you walked into the interview and was like Charlie Murphy.
2: Yes. Oh no. Of course. of course. And then she did. She didn't enjoy that. No. no she was no. very nice. Yeah. <laughs> and she did. She wasn't wearing a stupid beanie hat that was far too small for. uh a cancer the same for Killian Scott.
1: Oh, oh. Yeah. No. Uh, as I do to, like it. The but two it's of very us good. are wearing beanie hats right now.
2: Yes, but uh, adequately sized. Yeah,
1: that's the key difference. But um, yeah. cool. Well, I'm looking forward to in the second part of this anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, nice one. I uh, hope you enjoyed that, and we'll see somebody over in the Patreon for part two. Good luck, Shafter.